in these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You need a mic. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to see Jesus at night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 75 pounds in weight. So he took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes and spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Peter, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to, to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's the Word of God. What a wonderful and amazing story. There's just so much going on, so many incredible things going on in this story. It's interesting, at the end of chapter 20, John kind of summarizes not only this story, but the entire book of John. He says that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Life in His name. Really, the objective of it all is that we might believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And why? Why should we believe? Well, in believing in Him, we have life in His name. And I want today, there's a lot I could talk about from this section of Scripture, but I want today just to focus on two Parts of it, two characters in this story. And I want us to kind of enter into their experience and through that 
to ourselves find ourselves believing in Christ and also having life in His name. Those two people are Mary and Thomas. Mary Magdalene and Thomas. So let's take a look at their stories. First Mary, and then we'll talk about Thomas. Perhaps you've seen movies about Mary or you've read some books. There's a lot of ideas about Mary Magdalene that are out there. Uh, In reality, the biblical story is much more concise than much of the other material, and I would submit also much more noble. It's a much more noble picture of Mary than we might find in the movies. Often the different caricatures of Mary are, are based on aberrant views of Christianity. And so they introduce other aspects of her. But if we look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures are fairly clear and complete about who she was. First, we know she was probably from the town of Magdala, thus her name Mary Magdalene. And this was a town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was south of Capernaum. So we know that about her. She was from a town in Galilee. And also, if we read our Bibles and read through, we'll see in Luke chapter 8, it says that she had seven demons delivered from her. She had seven demons that were cast out of her by Jesus. There's nothing about her being a prostitute uh, that some people claim. Uh, There's nothing about that that's highly improbable. There is nothing about uh, confirming that she was the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. That looks like it was someone else. You can look at the account in Luke and see that. But we do know that she was one who was delivered of seven demons. She was a woman who was dramatically affected by the Savior. Can you imagine what life must have been like to live? We can assume that she's maybe 30 years old or so. To live with seven demons... The the number is seven. It's unusual to see that many. So her life probably was just a lot of suffering. She probably suffered a lot of torment. I would submit physical torment, emotional torment, and spiritual torment. Probably her days were full of depression, despair, twisted thoughts, dark thoughts, I would imagine her nights were even worse, full of nightmares, full of darkness. That was life for Mary. And probably, most likely, her friends and family had abandoned her because they were helpless to bring some relief to Mary. So she probably was on her own, begging and wandering, really in a living hell. That was Mary's life. And there are actually many people like Mary today. We may not necessarily attribute their affliction to demons. It may not necessarily be demons, but there are people who live day and night in what is in many ways a living hell, whether they're on the streets or hidden behind respectable facades. Many, many people are like Mary Magdalene. And many, many people are desperately in need of a Savior to come and rescue them from the regular torture of their lives. Well, Mary indeed encountered the Savior. He came, and we don't know the details, but imagine rebuked the demons and delivered her radically from her her torment, changed her life drastically. And we can learn more about Mary uh, by reading else in the Scripture that she actually followed Jesus. There was a band of women who followed as Jesus' disciples as well. This talks about it in Luke as well. And she followed Jesus with this band of women and they, out of their, their money, helped supply the needs of the disciples and of Jesus. They 
provided financial support. So Mary was one of those women who traveled with Jesus. Joanna, another, she was the wife of Herod's chief steward, so a pretty prestigious person. Susanna, as well. And she followed Jesus. She walked with Jesus with this group. It's also interesting to look in this account that she is one of the few who stays with Jesus throughout the whole time. She's there early on. She's there at the cross. She didn't flee. We know that the the disciples fled for fear of their own lives. But Mary lingered. Mary stayed at the cross and she watched the one who had delivered her from seven demons crucified shamefully on a cross. Now we know the rest of the story. So when we hear that, we may not feel what it must have felt like for Mary. This is someone who who had been delivered drastically from a life that was just torment. Her Savior had come. The Messiah had come and rescued her. But here she is in, in chapter 19 of John watching that same Savior, Messiah, shamefully crucified. For in that culture, there was no worse death. There was no more shameful and accursed death than to die on a cross. Yet Mary lingered at the cross. She stayed there with a few others and watched her Savior suffer and die. I don't think we can quite understand what she must have felt like to watch this one in whom she had put all her hope, who was her very life, who was her wisdom, to watch Him vanquished on the cross. I think the emotion that people feel when they lose a loved one may be akin to that. I think of the emotion and the grief that we feel when we lose someone in whom we put our hope would be similar to Mary's hope. I think when parents, and I've walked with parents who have lost children, they have just this terrible sense of grief, this child, losing a child in whom they put their hope in their future, to watch the child taken from them. Mary's grief, I think, was akin to that, perhaps more intense. Her hope, her life was taken from her. But she continued to linger. She stayed by for taking the time of taking Jesus down from the cross as well. They took him down and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were there. They prepared his body. They put it in his tomb. And the Scripture tells us that they lingered. Mary lingered by the tomb. She stayed there at the tomb until it was probably too late and she needed to go. Maybe perhaps as night fell and the Sabbath approached, she had to leave. And we find her in this account on Sunday morning. She is among the first to visit the tomb. So she was one of the last to leave on Friday night. She lingered at the crucifixion and then at the tomb. And then she's one of the first there on Sunday morning. Mary continued to be devoted to Jesus even as she was confused about what was going on. Even as she grieved for her Messiah. She continued to be devoted So she was the first one there. And if you follow the count, she comes and she sees that the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty. There were, it looks like, probably some other women with her early in the morning. And she runs back to the disciples 
and tells them what she had found. The stone is rolled away. Now the conclusion probably she was thinking at that point was somebody came in and stole the body. And so here she is. She's lost the Savior, her Messiah, her King. He's been crucified shamefully. And now somebody heaped insult on top of injury by stealing His body out of the tomb. That was what she was thinking. So she ran back and Peter and John run out to the empty tomb and they find it empty. And she, though, continues to linger at the tomb even after Peter and John have left. Full of confusion and grief, she lingers there. It says in the account that she stooped to look in the tomb. The door would have been very low. She stooped to look in. And there are angels there at that point. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. It looks like she's not quite getting the picture even at this point. There's angels in the tomb, and she's still concerned that they have taken Jesus' body. I don't know what the angels look like and how you could miss that there was something unusual about that, but Mary did. She didn't say, Oh, an angel. She said, They've taken my Lord's body. Her eyes were fixed on the Savior. She wanted to know what happened to her Savior. What happened to her Savior's body. And it says in the text, she said that. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus asked her like the angels had, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She still is confused. She still doesn't see. And and actually, if you read the accounts, many of the disciples, when they first saw Jesus, didn't know it was Jesus. There was something about his resurrected body that somehow was different than what they had been used to. And in a dramatic answer, Jesus reveals himself. Now, as we read through this, we can make the mistake of just thinking, what a, what a dope Mary is. Couldn't she get it? There's angels there. And then she turns around and here is Jesus. And he probably didn't look like any ordinary gardener, but she thinks he's a gardener. Now, we can make the mistake of thinking she's a dope and we're a lot smarter than that. But you know why these stories are in the Scripture? Because these folks are just like us. These stories should give us lots of hope. <laughs> Because we're a lot like Mary. We may have devotion, but we can also be very confused and unclear about things. We are like her, and I would submit that if we were in that place, we probably would have done exactly the same, perhaps. I know for me, I don't think I would have demonstrated the devotion and faith that she maintained throughout this whole thing. So, she's there as an example. And she's there because she's like us. And she remained faithful through the whole time. Devoted to Jesus and her faith at this moment is richly rewarded. Jesus says to her, Mary. And with that communication, she knows indeed who it is. And she replies, I'm sure with much emotion, Rabboni, which means teacher. It would have been a term of respect and affection. Rabboni, it's you. It's you. Certainly a a roller coaster of emotion for her, I'm sure. And it looks like she just grabbed a hold of him and hung on to him. 
Here was the one she thought she had lost. Here he is, alive, risen from the dead. And I'm sure she's hanging on to him and probably just full of emotion and probably not knowing, probably totally confused. I don't understand, but all I know is my Savior is alive. He's here. And that's all I need to know. And I believe she clung on to him. And so Jesus said to her at some point, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And that's what she does. Now Jesus' reply there, He's not saying, don't touch me. Nobody should touch me. That's not what He's saying. He's saying, don't cling to me. Mary, you're holding on to me because you love me. You want to hug me. You want to be with me. But, but don't do this because I'm going to ascend. And if we look further in, in the, the Bible... We see the purpose that He ascended was so that He could send the Spirit to be with us always. And so in a sense, He's saying, Mary, don't cling to Me. I'm going to ascend and send you one who will cling to you your whole life and to whom you can cling. So He says that to her. And so Mary runs and tells others what she's seen. Mary is faithful to the end. And through all this trauma of the crucifixion, burial, and the empty tomb, her faith is richly rewarded and her Messiah and King coming to her. Thomas is a contrast to Mary. Where Mary is constantly near and lingering, Thomas is absent. So Sunday evening, the disciples are together, probably in that upper room. They're all together except for Thomas. And Jesus shows up. And the same experience that Mary had that morning at the tomb, they have as well. Their Savior is now alive. He comes through a locked door, appears to them. But Thomas is not there. Thomas is not there on that Sunday evening. He's not there on Friday night, Friday afternoon as well. He, along with the other disciples, had fled for fear. Even old Peter, the boldest among them, had denied Christ three times. Thomas, likewise, had fled. Now, we don't know for sure why he wasn't there Sunday evening. But I think we can get some hints as we look at Thomas and learn about Thomas from Scripture. So in chapter 11, you could turn to John 11 if you'd like. You don't have to. In chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. And Jesus... Is preparing to go to see Lazarus. He's, he's delayed that, and, and Lazarus, they know, has died. And his disciples try to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem because they know that the authorities want to kill Jesus. And so they're trying to stay away from Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go and visit Lazarus. And as they're saying this, Thomas says something. He says, let us also go that we might die with Him. Now, I don't think Thomas was saying that because he was ready to die with Jesus. I think he was saying that somewhat sarcastically, like, alright guys, let's go, we're going to die, we're going to end up dead like Lazarus with Jesus. I believe it was somewhat sarcastically that he said that, because he knew that this was dumb to go to Jerusalem, that Jesus was going to get killed. It's just a, a picture of Thomas there. Also in chapter 14, as Jesus is talking to the disciples and He's preparing 
the disciples for His departure. And He says to them in chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. In reply, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I believe Thomas was a guy that, that was a guy who wanted the facts. He wanted things to be clear. He wanted it to be clear to his senses and to his mind. And so he says, Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. We don't know the way that you're speaking of. He's concrete. Show me the way. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think Thomas was a bit of a skeptic. Now, I think Thomas had faith. Don't get me wrong. I think he had a form of faith. But I think he was a skeptic. I think he struggled with faith. I think Thomas was one who preferred to rely on his mind and his senses. There was an element of faith there, but, but it was weak. And where we have Mary devoted to Jesus, even when things don't make sense, she continues to believe and linger. Thomas is one who will not believe and linger unless it makes sense. So he probably has concluded, I signed up for a Messiah, victorious Messiah. He's dead. Equation answers, no longer should I be his disciple. That's probably what he was thinking. That this whole thing has turned wrong. So, Thomas, I, I don't mean to, to, to say Thomas is terrible. Thomas is a lot like you and me in many ways. And again, these stories are here for us. In many ways, I have been like a Thomas. I would be one naturally inclined to analysis. That's my background in science. That was my job. Make sure it's reproducible. Make sure you can see it with your senses and figure it out with your mind. So that's what Thomas is like. But our minds are limited. Logic is important, but we must remember that God is above logic. He's super-logical. He's greater than logic. So we don't want to make logic king, but God king. Interestingly, a study was done recently where they asked groups of people, two groups of people, to give money to an orphan in Africa. And actually they had specifics. It was a little girl named Rokia, and they had things about her life and, and what, it, what it was like, and, and then asking if them, they would give money. But before they did that, one group, they asked them analytical questions. Like, if an object travels at five feet per minute, by your calculations, how many feet will it travel in 360 seconds? Those sort of questions. The other group, they asked questions like, what comes to mind when you hear the word baby? They asked those sort of questions. So one group, they asked analytical. One, they asked kind of heart questions. And then they asked them to give to this orphan. The ones who were asked the analytical questions gave half as much as the ones who were asked the heart questions. Same group of people. They're all different types of people. But the ones who were locked into the analytical mode were not captivated by this needy young girl. And I just say that because we can be like that. We can lock into our senses and our mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. God's given us those things, but they're incomplete. There's more to life than what our five senses and mind can figure out. And so Thomas, I believe, was one who was influenced that way. He was rationalistic. And so, he's drawn a conclusion. He's convinced himself, I believe, that somehow this was phony. He wasn't who he thought he was. 
And so he's perhaps not interested in being there with the disciples anymore. But there was some faith and there was relationship. And so I imagine the disciples got a hold of him and said, Thomas, you've got you to listen to this. You've got to hear. We saw Jesus. He came. The door was locked. He walked in the room. He said, peace be with you. He was there. Thomas, it was incredible. You've got you've to see this. And Thomas won't have it. He, he won't listen. Now, he's perhaps interested somewhat, but he, he's skeptical. And he says, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger, unless I can put my finger inside his hand where that nail went, unless I can put my hand in that wound, I will never believe. So I don't think Thomas is saying, I need this uh, data to help me believe. He's saying, I need, it's got to be this. And he's in a sense mocking their faith. But God is God. and He's greater than the analytical ability of Thomas. And so we read later on that they're together and now Thomas is with them. And Jesus shows up. And just as dramatic as Mary's experience and turning and seeing Jesus and hearing him say Mary and realizing it's Jesus, Thomas has a dramatic moment too. And can you imagine what he was thinking and feeling at that moment when Jesus shows up? Jesus says, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What does he say? My Lord and my God. He knows. He says the right thing at that point. He doesn't say, well, Jesus, you know, I was just kind of, you know, the facts weren't in, all in yet. And I, he just knows that, that his reasoning and his ability is nothing compared to Jesus. And so he says, my Lord and my God. Just as dramatic as Mary's encounter. The Lord comes. He appears to faithful Mary, reveals Himself, and He also reveals Himself to faithless Thomas. The risen Christ appears to both. Mary finds her Rabboni. Thomas finds his Lord and God. But we heard earlier that these things are written not just for Mary. Not just for Thomas. They're written for you and for me as well. They're written that we might, along with Mary, maybe we have a strong faith that lingers, but along with Mary that we might see and believe and know that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And that along with Thomas, maybe we are an analytical type, but that along with Him we may as well see Him as our Lord and our God. You see... This Gospel is written that we might believe that He is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in His name. Christ rose from the dead for Mary and for Thomas and for us. And earlier in John 19, He died as well. He said on the cross, it is finished. It stands finished. He died on that cross to die for Mary's sins and Thomas's sins, to pay the penalty for their sins and to pay the penalty for our sins as well. Past, present, future. 
rose victorious from the grave over our sin, our death, for new life, and came to grant eternal life to all who believe, Mary, Thomas, and any here who would recognize like Thomas and Mary that He is who He is. He is indeed the Son of God, the Savior. He is the one that we need. He is our Lord. So in closing, today, the day that He has risen, the day that we celebrate His resurrection, let us do what Mary and Thomas did. Let us believe in Him who washes away all our sin. Let us believe in our risen King who's rose and victorious from the grave, has defeated death and ascended to heaven and will one day soon return and grants us eternal life to be with Him always. Let us embrace Him as Mary did. Let us confess to Him that He is our Lord and God, that we might believe in Him and celebrate and enjoy life today in His name. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You for these wonderful stories. We thank You for what You did in Mary's life. Lord, what it must have been like at that moment to see who You were. Lord, we thank You for what You did. Lord, we thank You for what You did in Thomas's life as well. What it must have been like for him at that moment when he beheld You. Lord, You still show Yourself through Your Word, by Your Spirit, to many, many people as well. And we just thank You, Lord. And we ask You, Lord, to show Yourself to us and to lead us, Lord, in You to believe and have life in Your name. We pray and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The ushers could get ready. We're going to celebrate communion. We thought this would be appropriate on each.